Good afternoon, good evening, I'm Dove Tuzman and you are back on Equal Footing. Tonight we are talking about heresy, apostasy, turning away from faith. Elie Wiesel once said that the, that heresy, the opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. Do we agree? What is heresy after all? It's in the news a lot right now. The attacking of the author Salman Rushdie. His tragic stabbing from several weeks ago has it back on the front page. You know that in Jewish and Christian jurisprudence, the theology and law of, of each of those faiths, heresy does carry the death penalty, at least in some forms. hasn't been actually carried out for centuries, but in countries like Pakistan and Sudan and other Muslim countries, you still have the death penalty as the consequence of apostasy, of heresy. We've got two great guests tonight, erudite scholars of religion and philosophy. Let's start by introducing a new guest equal footing, Professor Ori Soltis. When not playing basketball or writing poems, Professor Soltis, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly, hope correct me if I'm not, teaches at Georgetown University. He teaches across a variety of disciplines. Can't wait to get the professor on other programs in the future, from art history and theology to philosophy and political history. It's a Renaissance man. He's the former director of the Nybrith Klutznik National Jewish Museum. He's curated more than 85 exhibitions there and in other venues across the country and overseas. He's also the co as the co-founding director of the Holocaust Art Restitution Project. He spent the last 20 years researching, writing, lecturing, and advising museums and claimants on the issue of Nazi-plundered art, also a great topic for a future show. Professor Soltis is the author of over 300 books, articles, exhibition catalogs, and essays on a range of topics. He's also the writer and producer and narrator of a range of video courses, including the 26-part series Tradition and Transformation, a History of Jewish Art. Some of his recent books include Our Sacred Signs, How Jewish, Christian, and Muslim Art Draw from the Same Source, Mysticism in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, Searching for Oneness, Magic and Religion in the Greco-Roman World, The Beginnings of Judaism and Christianity. Just great. Topics across a variety of disciplines. Professor Soltis, welcome, welcome to Equal Footing. We got you on the air, Professor. Yes, I think you do. Yep, now I hear you. Yeah. Okay, well, good. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad I'm on the air if I'm on the air. <laughs> Thanks for tackling such a uh, challenging subject with us tonight. We'll get into that in a second. I want to introduce sure. our other guest who's been on Equal Footing before. It's such a pleasure always to talk to Reverend Dave. That's the Reverend Dr. David Taylor. Reverend Dr. David Taylor is a chaplain at Saint, is the chaplain at St. Andrew's School in Boca Raton, Florida. He's been there for 24 years. He's worked at boarding schools elsewhere in the United States. He has degrees from the University of Mississippi, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and the Virginian, Virginia Theological Seminary. He's also worked on the staff of Nobel Prize winner Bishop Desmond Tutu. Uh, he served as a chaplain in prisons and hospitals and for Major League Baseball, including for the Orioles, Dodgers, and Braves. Reverend Dave, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be back, though. <laughs> you always jump at these, uh, as these, at these difficult subjects. Okay. Let's, let's start with a, with some definitions. So heresy, uh, is it the same as a schism? How's it different from apostasy, atheism? H help us break this down. Professor Soltis, what, what exactly is heresy in the Abrahamic faith? <laughs> sure. I mean, the word itself originally meant hieresis, and in Greek means choice. And then it takes on a Latin form, then it goes into Old French, then it comes into English. And it's interesting, choice, right? That's all it means. But what it comes to mean by the late 4th century in uh, the Roman Empire that is now officially under the Emperor Theodosius, a Christian empire, it comes to mean, in effect, ch 
choosing the wrong direction with respect to how you believe in God. So a heretic is someone who claims to be the member of whatever the particular faith is, but is a member whose beliefs are going in the wrong direction, as opposed to someone outside the faith altogether, or as opposed to a situation where we speak of a schism, where within a faith you've got kind of two equally powerful forces contending with each other regarding how to be properly a member of that faith. A heretic is typically part of a minority within a larger majority within right. a so given faith. That's an important distinction for, for listeners to understand. So, Reverend Dave, to, to be a heretic, you have to mem- be a member of the club to start with, right? You, so you kind of have to be, you have to be a Christian to then be a Christian heretic. Otherwise, if you're a pagan that's never been exposed to Christianity, you're not, you're not a heretic, right? I, I would agree with that, and I think one of the things uh, historically within Christianity specifically is that someone who's not a member of the club can be redeemed, you know, that, that they are, their sins can be forgiven. Uh, someone who is a member of the club, and as the professor said, is going the wrong way, well, you know, the, the Christian church uh, has not dealt with that historically in a positive manner over the years, between um, the, the burning at the stake. Spanish Inquisition, all of these kind of things have been ways to try to enforce a form of orthodoxy that would kind of root out, silence, or completely eliminate uh, minority views. So, Professor Soltis, when we hear, uh, especially in the context of an Islamic fatwa a decree, a, a, you know, even sometimes a, a death penalty decreed for someone who's who's being a heretic, uh, is, is it really just for, for someone who's a heretic, someone who's uh, Muslim and is turned away from the faith, or is, or is it can be someone who, you know, denies existence, for example, of, of the Prophet Muhammad, who's not Muslim to begin with? Is that person a heretic right. as well as so, another name for that person? No, t- technically speaking, zindic is the Arabic word that is the equivalent of heresy, and it's exactly what you described. You've got to be within the faith and you are misbelieving somehow. So a kafir, who I guess we might translate that word as someone without faith, an infidel, is outside. Now, it may be that you handle the heretic and the infidel the same way, but they are two different categories. And I should add that how one labels someone or doesn't label someone a heretic, of course, is going to be open to the interpretation of the one doing the labeling. So if a, 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 a Sunni Muslim considers a Shi'i Muslim a heretic, then that's what he thinks. Obviously, a Shi'i Muslim doesn't think that of himself, and there may be other Sunni Muslims who don't think of that of the Shi'i, and there may be others who say, no, he's not a heretic, he's not even a Muslim at all. He's an infidel. So you have this whole range, and historically that's not unique to Islam. You have that also, I mean, in the 4th century, you had church fathers who really didn't distinguish the other within that category, distinguish heretics from pagans, from Jews. Anybody who was not following my line of thinking was treated and thought of the same way without worrying about the, you know, the kind of uh, parsing of, of, of definitions that we're engaged in right now. It's interesting, Reverend Dave, to, to Professor Solti's last point. It seems a little bit like the definition of someone who's a heretic or someone who's simply a member of, of, a, of a divided area of faith after a schism within a religion really boils down to who, who writes history, who's the winner. I would yeah. totally agree yeah, so in Christianity, there have been lots of divisions, uh, you know, over, over, over time, the, the Protestant movement, um, what, five, six centuries ago. So w- what, how do you, where's the dividing line between a group that's heretical versus a group that's kind of split off and still accepted as Christian? Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to, um, uh, to Christian scripture where um, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, was uh, trying to take on the idea of, of heresy. And again, you know, uh, practices of worship at, you know, the temple in Corinth included temple prostitution. And so Paul was trying to work against, you know, those kind of behaviors and, and, and going to church. And Paul is, um, 
talking about in, in First Corinthians about how, look, you're following Apollos, and some people are following Paul. Let's just give it a test of time to see how things play out. And I think that originally the way that the different viewpoints, it was sort of like, well, let's just see if this view holds root, and then after time we'll see whether or not it works. Um, Christianity then became a little less patient with that and just tried to eliminate people uh, for not only their views but also for their actions. One famous heretic, um, John Wycliffe, committed the you know atrocious sin uh, in the Catholic Church that he translated the Latin Vulgate into Middle English. And for that, he died before he could be executed. And so they exhumed him and then burnt him and scattered his ashes uh, out of the non-consecrated area. So within that, Christianity has dealt very harshly uh, times with folks who are, again, in the minority view. And that goes not only in from biblical points, but even into the fact that Joseph Smith, the leader of the LDS or Mormon Church, was killed on his way out to Utah in the establishment of, of that religious group as well. So... Before we go to our first break, let's take a step back and actually analyze the 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 origin of the term heresy a little bit more. In, in Professor Salty's in in the pregame research, I was interested to find that it's actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, the historian Flavius Josephus from the first century of the Common Era, who was it was actually referring to Jewish sects. His first use of heresies or the the choice these different groups, the Sadducees and the the Pharisees right. and the Essenes, who had different beliefs around the after. If I recall, I'm, I'm dipping way into deep in my brain. Yeah. It's different beliefs about the afterlife and resurrection and so forth. And so it, was, it seemed to begin in the beginning not to be so much about, uh, in, from the historian's perspective, of uh, Josephus uh, about designating someone an apostate or kind of uh, denying some attribute of God uh, or an attribute of religion, but just different groupings, as it were, within right. within the religion. So, so two things. One, you're absolutely right. Josephus distinguishes a bunch of different groups or operatives in his lifetime and in a couple of generations before his lifetime. And in fact, we're, we're not quite clear exactly always what the distinctions amongst some of these groups are and how they line up against groups that are mentioned in the first and second books of Maccabees um, so that we have... You know, two main parties, maybe, the Sadducees and the Pharisees at a certain point, but by the time we get to Josephus' time, the Sadducees aren't really around much anymore. The Pharisees are kind of mainstream Judeanism, and in fact, um, they are perhaps mislabeled in the Gospels as bad guys because the Pharisees had evolved and emerged as the group that was the people's group, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Sadducees. But the other thing which it's important, I think, They were to like remember, a little bit more progressive, as it were. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's like in, the, in the, um, the generation just before Jesus, Hillel and Shammai, or the schools of Hillel and Shammai, where the one is represented as having a kind of more liberal and positive kind of view and the other a more stringent and negative point of view. Let me give you a concrete example. Should we celebrate on the 15th or the first day of, of, of um, Shat the bringing of the first fruits to the temple? Well, the, the Shammai view was the first day. Hillel said the 15th day. Why? Because a poor man with an acre is going to have less likelihood of finding the first vegetation on his property at the beginning of the month, a better chance two weeks later, and so if we make it earlier, we're more likely to disenfranchise the, the poorer people. I think and of course, that's where we went. Pardon the interruption, I think one of the things we sometimes struggle with as, as, as observant Jews who consider ourselves somewhere on the orthodox spectrum is this understanding of the historical progression, and you know, I hope I won't offend anybody pulling out the Helen Keller quote that the heresy of one age becomes the orthodoxy of the next. And sure. there's, I think there's some, some truth to that. Well, Let's, Hasidism, Hasidut, Hasidism began as a radical reform movement in Eastern Europe, right. who in today's world would think of Hasidim as reform. They're orthodox, or some would even say ultra-orthodox. So things change, times change. Yeah. 
So just so there's no listener that criticizes us not covering kind of the the etymology from from the Hebrew, the, as I understand it, uh, last question here to you before the break, Professor Salty, is that it, in in the the rabbinical term for heresies in in, in Judaism would be uh, minim, right? The kind of the right. just kind, just kinds, just basically um, different right. types of belief, uh, and and the singular, you know, mean. Uh, right as, as well. So, and it's not used to refer to outsiders. It's refused to re- used to refer to the inside group. But it's important also to realize, you know, at the time of Jesus and even at the time of Josephus, Judaism and Christianity are just getting started. Each group thinks we're the real Judeans, we're the real Israelites, and you guys have kind of missed the boat. You missed the boat because you didn't recognize Jesus. No, you missed the boat because you did recognize Jesus. So Josephus, and half a step back, Jesus, is not what we think of when we think of Judaism. It's a little bit different. Mm. And the, yeah. We'll, Sorry, we're going to take our first break. We're going to come back and we'll bring this, this uh, ancient context of heresy that we're talking about here more into the contemporary moment. We'll have to, moment. We'll have to pass through the Middle Ages to do that. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. We're here with Professor Ori Soltis from Georgetown University, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor from St. Andrews School in Boca Raton, Florida. Our number to call in and ask these gentlemen about heresy is 718-303-9090. That's for being live on the air. Please be patient to be called in. We'll get to you when we can. 718-303-9090. And if you want to text in a question or comment, do so to 917-428-4062. That's by SMS or WhatsApp to 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax, and DocuVax is a very easy-to-use digital locker for storing and validating your medical records. It's very easy. You just download at DocuVax.com or on your Android or iPhone device, downloading the app DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X, all your immunization records, your lab results, even your x-rays and MRIs. Gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider. The DocuVax system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, blood type information, allergy information, etc. Sign up at DocuVax.com or download the DocuVax app. If you want to get group discounts for DocuVax, you can also call 833 833- 859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And if you mention you heard about DocuVax on equal footing, you get those group discounts. It is very inexpensive. For as little as $6.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from a secure HIPAA compliant digital storage facility on your phone or laptop. And this is the kicker. As you get medical professionals on call for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your medical locker. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date in a particular vaccine, a blood test, or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file and sign up for DocuVax. You can also call to do so for those group discounts, 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been told. All right, you're back on equal footing. I'm Dove Tusman. I'm here with the Reverend Dr. David Taylor and Professor Ori Soltis. We are talking about heresy. I want to understand what constitutes heresy. Reverend Dave, in Christianity today, what is, is it still relevant? What, what, what qualifies you as a heretic? Well, first of all, um, my the, the most serious thing when I was in a Southern Baptist seminary was intramural sports, and my sports team was called the Heretic, the Heretics, and we actually had our jerseys with a bonfire on it 
with Born to Burn written on the back. So um, when it comes down to it, um, there's still a lot of um, individuals in Christianity that I think that not only in uh, in the United States, but also in other parts of the world, that heresy is considered very, very real. And if you don't believe the way the majority believes, then it could be ultimately perilous in a matter of life and death. I think um, a, a very tragic example is what has been going on in Uganda since, uh, I, I think, around 2000. 2010, when the idea of the criminalization of um, gay Ugandans could result in a death penalty, but also five-year imprisonment if you didn't turn someone who was gay, lesbian, bisexual in. So in in different parts of the world, uh, if you do not conform to the civil religion, of the uh, of the of the group, whether it is a theocracy in some cases in Islam, or just the general prevailing um, religion of of a region, then it could be uh, ultimately um, it, problematic in terms of being life and death. Even with the Episcopal Church, there was just a, a major conference in Lambeth, which is the uh, residence of the Archbishop of Canterbury. In the Episcopal and Anglican Communion, there was vast disagreement about what to do. It just is that this day and age, um, it just isn't, you know, breaking out the the fire and the and the swords or however you want to look at it, uh, most of the time people just tend to move on into their own way and recongregate. I would argue that in Christianity, um, the idea of heresy has led to more and more different congregation and flavors of faith um, yeah, than and, um, and towards orthodoxy. And there are references even in Corinthians in, in the Christian Bible of, of there seems to be some value to heresy, kind of the idea, I don't know the quote exactly, you probably do, Reverend Dave, around, uh, you know, if there are divisions amongst you, then, then the, the, the true believers can be acknowledged. It's like, if you, if you don't have the differences of opinions, you don't end up with being able to qualify what's right and what's wrong, kind of the value of debate. Certainly there's an emphasis on that. And, and with that, Judaism. one of the things that happened in there in bringing up the, the church in Corinth again is one of the things that happened first, and I think in around the, the second century, with the Apostles' Creed and then with the development of the Nicene Creed later after Constantine, is that uh, Christianity, to begin with, is a way of trying to combat heresy in its uh, infancy stages, came up with these creedal statements of, you know, I believe in this, 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 and this, that people would then uh, chant as a part of the service, and in many congregations throughout the world every Sunday, um, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed is recited as a part of the service to kind of reinforce those non-negotiable points of orthodoxy within the congregation. So let's bring this to the to the present. Uh, you know, we talked about the, the Middle Ages. I think everybody knows the period of the Inquisition. You had tens of thousands of people that were killed, many of them burned at the stake for heresy. You know, they, they were accused of heresy, a lot of false accusations as well. There was no legal representation. You had to, you, you confessed, confessed or die, except you, you were being tortured while you had to confess. You know, even Galileo was, was, uh, was sentenced, I think, to life imprisonment for, for, uh, for heresy, for claiming that the earth was flat. But, well, it was house, house arrest. House, house arrest. arrest. Pardon me. And, and it was, he was claiming that the earth revolved around the sun, oh, the, the other way around. Oh, just goodness. to correct that little detail. I love being corrected. <laughs> I love the Galileo quote, it is surely harmful to souls to make it a heresy to believe what is proved. <laughs> so, okay, but today, this, the show, the genesis of today's show was the, was the August, I think it was August 22nd stabbing of the author Salman Rushdie, who wrote the Satanic Verses, which is a great book, by the way, and it, you know, where there's kind of a challenge and challenge to um, certain kind of pillars of of Islamic faith, and this was as the result, as I understand it, Professor Soltis of a decree kind of on his head, a religious decree, as a result of him being, I guess, in this case, not an infidel, a, a heretic, because he was he's he's Muslim. Um, there is still the death penalty still applies right in 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 islam for uh for for heresy is is this is this something that ha- is 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 changing is is yeah wh- wh- well, where are we on this on this issue yeah. in the muslim world uh, uh it it applies for those muslims who think it still applies 
So those who do include, or included in 1979, 1980, through 1989, the Ayatollah Khomeini, because he presented himself and his constituents viewed him as someone who functionally, you know, has a prophetic kind of stature, a connection to God that the rest of us don't have. So if he pronounced something, he was pronouncing it in the name of God and you didn't question it. And on the one hand, you know, you have that happening in all kinds of contexts outside Islam, historically and even in the present. And on the other hand, uh, if you look at someone like Fethullah Gülen, who is a fervent Muslim from Turkey who lives in eastern Pennsylvania, who Mr. Erdogan, the prime minister of Turkey, has had it in for for years. He is a fervent Muslim whose vision could not be more opposite from that of Khomeini, who looks at Islam and says, Islam in that direction is becoming political, and it shouldn't be political, it should be civil. It should be about serving humanity. It shouldn't be about executing people because they disagree with you. And alas, it, it's a human problem. Uh, the, 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 the very comment uh, that the Reverend made a few moments back about secular religion in Uganda, exactly. Religion comes in every conceivable flavor, including the flavor of godlessness, of atheism. But if you have someone in charge who says, my way or the highway, whether that person is the Rebbe, whether that person is the, the uh, Ayatollah, whether that person is a secular leader, and people just line up and do whatever that individual says because, well, they think they should, mm. then we got a problem, Houston, you know? And it's, a, it's because of what we are as a species. Professor, within within Islam and yeah. and Judaism, there is a common focus on laws, the the halachot, the the right. Jewish laws, and in and in Islam, you have things. Sharia, that are, yes, Sharia, and you have things that are like manifestly permitted that are halal, and things that are manifestly mm-hmm. prohibited, haram. So, it, it, does that make the definition of heresy easier? In a certain, I mean, it may be. The, the consequences may be brutal and, and inappropriate in today's um, mm-hmm. today's context, but does it make it easier to declare someone a heretic? Are you, are you a heretic in Judaism and or Islam if you simply don't f- observe the laws, whereas Christianity feels like it's a little bit more like faith-oriented. Right. We have to divine what someone's innermost thoughts are. Well, again, I, I, in a way, you know, Christianity places so much emphasis on belief, and Judaism much more on how you behave because that's intended, that's assumed to reflect your belief, because Judaism seems to just assume that, I mean, traditionally speaking, I'm talking about rabbinic Judaism, that everybody knows that God exists and what God is, and so there isn't as much upset about your belief system, but if you reach a point where how you behave becomes a sufficient grounds for brutal treatment, <clears throat> then it's the same problem. My version is how it works, and whether that is God-inspired or me-inspired, you know, I think, as a practical matter, three things. Just think about Judaism, okay? On the one hand, built into the rabbinic tradition is different points of view. You don't have a schism because Rabbi X says, well, I think this passage in the Torah means this. And Rabbi Y says, no, it means that. And Rabbi Z says, you're both crazy. It means this. You have that built into the conversation. As a practical matter, Jews are dispersed. We're an archipelago of islands in these vast non-Jewish seas. So as a practical matter, if a Moroccan Jew is doing certain things, like eating certain stuff on Passover, that a Rhineland German Jew would think absolutely anathema, the Rhineland Jew is not even going to be aware of it, so he's not going to be able to condemn the Moroccan Jew of heresy. And the third thing is, when you do see this getting really violent, is interestingly, in Eastern Europe, in the late 18th and 19th centuries, with the development of Hasidism, and the pushback against it, called Hitnagdut, which means being against, where you have disagreements, violent disagreements, of what it means to be a proper Jew, and you have situations in which you have leaders of one group, in fact, consigning or trying to consign leaders of another group to the, to the, 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 the Christian authorities for jail, for punishment, in order to get at them. Mm-hmm. So it all comes back to us as a species, whatever our be- specifics of our beliefs are, 
our tendency to confuse the whole idea of belief, which is subjective by definition. I believe what I believe because I believe it. I can't know about God the way I know 2 plus 2 equals 4 and can put up my two fingers and put up two more and come up with four fingers. God, knowing God is a whole different ballgame. Reverend, and do, it involves, do, you, yeah. do, you, do you agree with Professor Soltis that, that within the, in the Christian context that, that the sussing out whether someone's a heretic is much more about their belief as opposed to their behavior? Is that a fair assessment? I would I would agree, yes. And and again I think that you can look at the um, the centuries long conflict between the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, specifically looking at Ireland and Great Britain and how Belfast is still a divided city uh, because of belief, when practicality, everything else is incredibly similar, but where one would choose to worship potentially on a high holy day. That, that I think that a, a great point that the professor is, is bringing up also about human nature is that I think that it's human nature that within the club, within the various groupings that we associate ourselves with, we are much harsher with people that are within our circle of influence than from people that are on the outside. Mm. And so within that, if you think about, you know, the, the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin but by, by uh, another, uh, another Jewish individual, that you could see over, you know, disagreements that could be seen as um, beliefs that could lead to practical action. And there's numerous examples in, in Christianity and Islam as well that I could bring. But the idea is that uh, because of our human nature, we are harsh with those many times that are closest to us. Yeah, and that was kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the outset around the difference between a heretic and an infidel. And, you know, it's, it's the heretic who's kind of been a member of the club and, and, and turns away from a certain uh, belief. And it's the infidel who wasn't a member of the club to begin with. And there's significant differences in the way they're treated, particularly in Christianity and Judaism, not so much in Islam. And we'll come back right after the break to talk a little bit more about the guidance in the Quran and Islam about uh, heresy and its consequences. We're here with Professor Ori Soltis and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor. We're talking about heresy, apostasy. Here on Equal Footing, we'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tusman. I'm here with Professor Ori Soltis from Georgetown University, the chaplain, Reverend Dr. David Taylor from St. Andrew's School in Boca Raton, Florida. We're talking about heresy. I love live radio because you get direct feedback. First of all, from the guests, I can't believe that I uh, I misspoke earlier about Galileo getting jailed or under house arrest because uh, he claimed the earth was flat. <laughs> that's that's distraction. We're trying to move on to the next question. Yes, because he said claim the earth was orbiting around the sun. Okay, so we I got the quote here from a uh, kind listener, Isabel, who pulled out, I think, the Corinthians quote that I was trying to pull out, Reverend Dave. Uh, Corinthians, I don't know how to read this. In the question, 1 Corinthians 11, 18, and 19. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. 
and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's what I was trying to pull out. That, that idea that there's value in a certain sense in those, in those heresies and those choices and those divisions, that, that being the, the source of the word heretic. Uh, is that value seen today before we go back to Islam as, as promised, uh, Reverend Dave? Do you think, do you think the modern Catholic Church, I know you're not a member of the Catholic Church, but a member of the modern Catholic Church and the Protestant denominations kind of value challenging actively the artifices of faith? Um, I would suggest that they don't. Um, and what happens is is that within that, uh, and previously in that chapter and just looking it up, it's sort of like before Paul is talking about the various divisions, uh, the beginning part of the chapter, they're arguing about whether or not women should have their head covered. You know, the, the, it comes back to a practicality point of what's going on. And I think that in our our modern time, what has happened is we don't debate, we congregate with people we believe in. We have our own sense of, you know, confirmation bias that moves into the spiritual and theological realm. And so I, I think that when it comes down to the modern church, specifically in Christianity, is that people don't want to be with people that they are going to be having huge theological debates with, that they would then move to, to a place where they would be accepted or that can, they can just join together with a congregation that is similar and like-minded, going back to the definition of just sort of like, we're not moving in the wrong direction, we're all going in the same place together. Yeah, it almost seems like in Christianity, there's enough of a spectrum within the different denominations that you can kind of move to that a place of comfort on that spectrum to avoid being a heretic, I guess, unless you simply, you know, you're, unless you're an atheist and you simply turn away from the belief in God. I would agree, and, and one of the things, and going back to our original point that we, we were all agreeing on, is, you know, the Helen Keller quote of, you know, the heresy is the is the orthodoxy. I remember when I was doing work in, yeah, in Cape Town of, and trying to do... of one it. age being the orthodoxy of the next. Yes, and, and how uh, I was doing um, kind of like a systematic theology on white supremacist groups, and now many of the thoughts that were considered heresy... Um, in the 80s and 90s, have been moved into the mainstream with Christian nationalism today in many, many circles. Um, and, and so it, it, it continues to evolve and continues to grow in terms of acceptance. Professor Soltis, we've got a couple of listeners, including Amir in Houston, who have pointed out, and I have even have a, uh, a quote from the Quran here uh, to support this position, that ironically in Islam— Unlike the other two Abrahamic faiths, there is no death penalty codified for heresy. And that while there may be current jurisprudence in, in Islamic countries to this effect, that it isn't actually part of Muslim law. And where's the quote here? Okay, the quote is, um, I guess, verse 4, 137 of the Quran, it's translated as follows. Those who believed, then disbelieved, then believed, and then disbelieved once more, and become, became more committed to disbelief. God will not forgive them or guide them to the righteous pathway. Uh, but the listeners paying out that you, you know, it's, it's, you won't, you won't be forgiven by God. You will, you, you not arrive in, in, uh, in the right place in the afterlife. But there are plenty of other places where the death penalty is prescribed and it's not mentioned here. In fact, no penalty is mentioned. Um, is this your understanding of, of, of Islamic law? Uh, it is my understanding of the Quran. You don't understand Islam if you just look at the Quran. You don't understand Judaism if you just look at the Hebrew Bible. You don't understand Christianity if you just look at the New Testament, because each of these traditions has evolved over time based on their respective interpretive understandings of what their fundamental text means. So we have a, a, a vast and varied rabbinic conversation. We have patristic and scholastic conversationalists coming out the wazoo for Christianity. We have a split between Sunni and Shi'i, and within the Sunni alone we have four major madhabs, four major schools of Sharia, and then subsets as well, and I'm just leaving Shia to the side for the moment, meaning what distinguishes these from each other is everybody, uh, it, it, all of them are offering their particular translations, sorry, interpretations and understandings of these things. And so, by the way, if I, if I say, well, I don't want Sharia in this country, 
excuse me, which Sharia did you mean? Because there are different understandings of Sharia depending upon whether you're a Hanafi or a Hanbali or a Shaifi and so on and so forth. What you do find, I think, which is, again, across Islam, is the notion of struggling to make yourself a better Muslim. The word for struggle, as you all know, whether or not you know you know, is jihad. And jihad comes in three flavors. Flavor one, the primary flavor, is I'm struggling to make myself a better Muslim. And the word Muslim means someone who submits to God's will. So I'm obligated, first, to be thinking about how I am or am not fulfilling what God wants me to be before I start worrying about others. And secondary jihad is within the Muslim world. I want to think about that. That's where perhaps the issue of heresy comes in. But the underlying idea is to try and figure out what makes the most effective means of being Muslim. And only the third way even looks beyond Islam to the world outside the Ummah, outside the people. And then there's a question of, well, what does it mean, jihad? A struggle with the word or a struggle with the sword? And throughout the history of Islam right up to the present day, you have at least as many leaders and thinkers whose view is, we're talking about the word here. Where did the sword violent thing come in? Of course, you get to any point in Muslim history, including the present time, and you do have a group like ISIS, let's say, or a group like the Taliban, let's say, whose vision of how they're supposed to enforce being a proper submitter to God's will is defined by the narrowness of their own minds that includes their assumption and their conviction and their belief that violent means, if needed, any means necessary to make people believe the right way, and then we come back to where we started. It's how I believe that you've got to believe. Yeah, I'm going to get to a listener question on that, on the belief level for you, Reverend Dave, in a sec. But, uh, Professor, so to, to, to put a bow on that, that those listeners' comments on, on Islam, certainly kind of being soft on heresy, you're saying that may be true in the Quran, but not in, in ancillary texts and commentary. No, I'm saying it's, it's true in the Quran and it's true in much of, or maybe right. even most of the commentary. But is what it gets fair highlighted. To say, is it fair to say, yeah. just as a, as a, as a simple yes, no, that, that Islam of the three Abrahamic faiths today is, is the toughest consequentially in terms of consequence on, on heresy and apostasy? Uh, apostasy being just turning away yeah. from. I understand, from, from I faith, understand. Yeah. Perhaps, or perhaps it's just how the non-Muslim world looking at it from the outside in sees it. Um, although, look, let's not be naive here. I just mentioned them myself. Entities like, like the Taliban and like ISIS clearly stand head and shoulders above most other entities in terms of their historical, meaning the last 20, 30 years, willingness to use violence. So if I use them as an example, then I would say absolutely that's correct. But if I look at the billion Muslims around the world, most of whom don't follow ISIS or the Taliban, then I would I stop short. It's like an extremist view not, that, that, yeah, that yeah. occupies too much of the of the podium. Yeah. But so, so Reverend Dave and, and, and Professor Soltis, in 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 Christianity and Judaism, respectively, there still is codified uh, death penalty uh, for 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 heresy, I and mean, it's never been like it's not officially eliminated from 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 canon, uh, is it? I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm thinking rabbinically. I'm thinking of Tractate Sanhedrin. I mean, you have well, this you have idea. The rabbinic, don't you have the, the, the Midrash reference to like that someone will be dropped in a pit from which they'll not be taken out or something like that? Right. There, 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 there are four different modes of executing someone for a capital crime. And heresy appears interpretively to be a, possibly one of those capital crimes. And the, the form that you described is stoning. Where the, where someone is put in a pit and a boulder is dropped on them. And by the one, by the way, of course, you need a minimum of, of two witnesses that that individual has committed a capital crime. And it's the individuals who have testified that have to actually push the boulder over. So you better mean it because you're going to be the executioner. And if it turns out the testimony comes forth between the time of the person being found guilty and the actual execution being meted out, 
um, that it was found out the individual was, was innocent, and the testifier testifiers lied, they get the punishment. And by the way, there's no record that any of any capital punishment was ever carried out by the Sanhedrin anyway. Okay, fair enough. Re- in terms of the law, though, Re- Reverend Taylor, yeah. I know it's unfair to probably ask you about, about uh, Catholic Catholic canon, but is is the death penalty still kind of applicable in, in the Catholic Church to, to heretics? No, no, not at all. I think that one of the things that has happened, you know, since Vatican II in the 60s uh, specifically, but well even before then, most of the time the 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 leaders of the the Catholic Church are very consistently pro-life, speaking against capital punishment and abortion, euthanasia, anything that would go, um, you know, contrary to their interpretation of the grace and the laws of God. So it's more at this point, I would say, you know, God will take care of the problem. So, you know, we don't need to really be involved. Point well taken, Reverend. Point well taken. Reverend Dave, we're going to go to our, our next break. Maybe you can contemplate this uh, listener's comment. They prefer to rename, remain anonymous. Uh, they're a self-denominated Christian. They say, we have it the easiest. We can be an atheist. We don't have to believe in God. We're not a heretic. We're just on a journey. So I, I'm wondering, it goes back to that issue of, of belief and, and, and the forgiving God. I'd love for you to address that. Perhaps in the, perhaps it's in the Protestant uh, strain right after the break. What is it really? Is anyone a heretic anymore when it comes to the, the Christian, at least Protestant strains of Christianity? We'll be right back. Every time we choose the music for the program, I always think, how are we going to find uh, music on this particular topic? But you know what? Look up, you know, songs about heresy on, on Google. That's quite a bit. I think that was Nine Inch Nails. Anyway, Equal Footing is brought to you also by Mechanical Art Capital. It's hard to do a segue from heresy to financing for watch collectors and watch dealers, but I'm doing my best here. Mechanical Art Capital offers one to two day financing to unlock the cash value of your timepiece collection or your timepiece inventory if you're a watch dealer through Mechanical Art Capital's easy to use buyback contracts. Go to mechanicalartcapital.com or download the Mechanical Art Capital app. You have to write in all those three words separately. Mechanical Art Capital on your Android or iPhone device. Go to the App Store and you can get your watches appraised for free, which you can use for insurance or whatever. And then you can get cash from those watches that you got appraised within 48 hours. No credit checks. Very easy to access. You can also call Mechanical Art Capital and get more information on their watch financing product by calling 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972 for more information about Mechanical Art Capital's watch financing program. I've been caught. Back on Equal Footing, we're talking about heresy with Professor Ori Soltis from Georgetown University, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor from St. Andrew's School. Reverend Dave, I thought that was a pretty good comments last question before the break. Uh, if you're a Christian and it's just an issue in your heart, even if in your heart right now you're not believing in God, uh, you know, but no, you're not saying anything out loud. You're 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 not a heretic, are you? Is 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 there any such thing now as being a heretic within at least the Protestant strains of Christianity? Within the Protestant strain of Christianity, I think it would be very difficult. I think going back to Baptist life, there's even a concept of a theological point called the priesthood of the believer. So you're your own priest, so you can take care of that, even though you may be a part of a, a specific congregation. And, and I think that in historically moving away from a creedal, kind of affirmation of faith and then moving towards something that could be even in the modern Pentecostal movement that is very, very spiritual um, with the idea of speaking in tongues or things of that ma- nature. It's really difficult, I think, in a, a micro and macro level to really define what does it mean to be a heretic 
in modern Christianity because there's going to be, as I stated before, a stream, a group of people that will want to congregate and to and to work in that same direction. I think an interesting point, um, and I'm curious with uh, the listeners um, and, and also from your point of view, I think that one of the most um, interesting groups that is embraced in Christianity but is considered a wee bit heretical, uh, depending on who you are and what you believe, is the concept of the messianic um, messianic temple, uh, something in the vernacular is commonly referred to as Jews for Jesus, which seems to be a, trying to be a complete hybrid of Judaism and Christianity. Um, you know, Jesus is my rabbi kind of thing, and how that uh, that particular group isn't embraced by either of the founding groups mm-hmm. and how that works. But I would say that in, in terms of purest form, that Christianity, I think, would have it the easy uh, have the easiest path, specifically in a modern context. You know, it, it, it causes me to want to go down, at least go to the edge of, the, of this rabbit hole that in some of the pregame research, Reverend Dave and Professor Soltis, we, we were looking at the early Judaizing strain within the Christian church, which was basically, as I understand it, saying that it, you had to, if, if you were a, 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 a non, uh, Jew, you couldn't be a Christian. You had to convert to Judaism first, learn those laws, and then I guess then learn the, uh, the heresies of, of, of Christianity. Anyway, there's a whole not, I, I do want to acknowledge because I think this next caller we're going to take in the line may be getting at something like this. There's, we, this is kind of heresy 101, right? We're talking about here tonight, Professor Soltis, because you could make the argument that these Abrahamic faiths themselves are offshoot heresies. I mean, you could make an argument that Christianity is a Jewish heresy and that I, you could also possibly make an argument that Islam is a Christian heresy. Uh, could you not? And we'll talk about that at another show, but just to. Sure. Uh, I, I suppose you could, but the Christian response to that would have been, maybe it would still be the case today, it certainly would have been the case 17, 18 centuries ago. No, 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 no. We fix what you guys broke, and we are therefore Veterus Israel, the true Israel. And Islam would say the same. You guys are reading texts which in their time and in their place were good for that time and place, but there have been scribal errors or maybe deliberate errors. The revelation that has come, the definitive final one through the seal of the prophets, is correcting all those errors. So again, we come back to what I believe is right and what you believe is wrong. Mm-hmm. So if, if the Jew calls the Christian a heretical uh, offshoot or calls Islam a heretical offshoot, and the Christian says, no, we are the true Jews, and the Muslims say, well, we are the true Judeo-Christians, that's because of their respective perspectives and uh you know what? Unless God herself jumps down and beats on one of us and says, this is how it is, guys, we will only always know by how we believe, by the nature of our faith. It's well, how belief, faith works. Let's take this caller on line four. Sure. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Good evening, my friend. Good evening. It's Stan from Forest Hills. Hi, Stan. How are you? Good, Good to hear you. I'm glad you're back home. Anyway. Yeah, sound quality is better when we're in studio. Yeah, definitely. Gentlemen, with all respect, you're not telling us anything new. We always knew the Orthodox thought the liberal was the heretic, the liberal thinks the constructionist is the heretic, the Catholic thinks the Jew is the, you know, we've all been, I mean, it's been that way for, what, thousands of years? That's the way it's been. No one is, the, someone is the true faith, but no one is the true faith. So that's the problem. If there was only one person in the world and he had a religion, he would be the religion. But somebody come next to him and there's only two people in the world. You know, I don't agree. Oh, you're the heretic. So it's absolutely, it's different. But the key point I wanted to make is Thomas Aquinas, the Protestant Reformation. I'd like to hear your views on him, because I think this was the ultimate yeah. heretic. Yeah, Reverend, Reverend Dan, Dave, Dan. You... Oh, okay, but I just want to say, uh, you're right, we didn't say anything new. But the problem is most people don't think like you do, Stan. They're all unaware of this, because that's why over the centuries there has been so much violence of course. in the name of these countries. Of course, right? of course. Okay. So, but Aquinas is 13th century. 
The Protestant Reformation is 16th century, but I'm going to let Reverend Dave handle that one. Go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, Stan, once again, good to hear from you again, and thanks for the softball questions. I really appreciate them. Wow. Uh, great, great question. And, and again, I would say, going back to um, the words of Solomon, and that there is nothing new under the sun, and Aquinas, in many ways, was just repeating uh, Greek philosophy. Uh, moving from uh, how he his relationship and reading uh, St. Augustine, very similar to how Socrates and Plato and Aristotle all worked in. And then Martin Luther, you're right, in the Protestant Reformation, took it to, to a, a whole different level on that. I, I think that there's a, there's a tension, Stan, that comes back to the point of every religion has to deal with heresy, but every religion also, in order to propagate itself to the future, has to make itself appealing to a new generation. And then this may be a subject for a different show, but I think that many times uh, what Aquinas in my in Summa Theologica and all of his, his, you know, extensive work was trying to take the Greek orientations and place it into a context in the 13th century that would appeal um marketing, if you will, uh, into a new and revitalized Catholic Church, which ultimately had a huge problem, as you brought up, uh, a couple hundred years later with Martin Luther. Yeah, the, the, the modern form of Christianity that that is the, the dominant form in the United States, one, one could, I think, pretty pretty cogently argue was a, a, a heretical strain that, that, that then subsequently is designated more as a schism uh, or or a or a different grouping uh, but certainly is is kind of heretical if it hadn't won <laughs> it hadn't it hadn't well, and 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 by the way you know in the first generation or two of uh, Protestant denominations from Luther through Calvin through Zwingli and so on through the Anglican Church, the Catholic view of Protestantism was that it was a heresy, not that it was a new form of faith. It was a heresy that needed to be stamped out. And there are about 300 Protestant denominations in the United States, by the way, just apropos of range and variety of perspectives. We've got a fair amount of uh, groups and denominations in Judaism as well. Guys, we're going to oh, yeah. run out of time, but I've got a question for you. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing a little bit from Nietzsche here, but uh, even though we decided to do this show on, on heresy, I think we're going to do another show on kind of offshoot heresy between the, the religions and in the future. Uh, to both of you, let's start with you, Professor Salty. Is heresy dead? Is it is it a is it really an, even an issue anymore, or is it just really just a, a, a really small fringe group within the Islamic world um, yeah. that, that still cares about this this concept? Uh, I would like to think it's a small fringe group. I wish it were dead. It's not, and it won't. It's not because of what Stan said. Because you know this has been going on as long as as long as there has been a, a conviction that there's one God. What has come with that is the conviction that. And there's only one correct path to that God. And that's my path. And if I have the power to impose it on you, I will, alas. Because ego always injects itself into the conversation. So no, it ain't dead. And you know but I'd what? like to we've think got, it's shrinking. Yeah, we, and there's definitely the ego of the, of the kind of Western monotheistic approach here. I've got a couple of listeners who have written in saying, we don't have this problem in the East. Heresy is much less of an issue in Hinduism and Buddhism and so forth. Yeah. Probably this was this show is on the Abrahamic faith. Reverend Dave, finish us off. Is is heresy dead? I I would uh, agree with the professor. No, it's not. Um, it is not dead. And I think that heresy, specifically as we've all seen with QAnon and, and other things, because of the amplification of the marketplace in technological forms, that um, ideas that are meant to be disruptive or antithetical to the status quo, in many ways can receive more and more traction and a louder voice can be heard because of it. So therefore, I think that, no, heresy is still alive and discernment and moving away from ego and moving towards love and tolerance and acceptance, um, that if we go back to the great theologian um, Martin Buber in I Thou, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. And let's have a model of civil discourse that we can share and learn from each other. Well, that's what we try to do here on this on this program. Professor Ori Soltis, Reverend David Taylor, thank you very much for being on Equal Footing. Thank you for having us. And you know, Thanks so much. Crazy, but that's why you want to be there. 
And she feeds you tea and oranges that come all the way from China And just when you mean to tell her that you have no love to give her Then she gets you on her wavelength And she lets the river answer that you've always been her lover travel with her and you want to travel blind and you know that she will trust you for you've touched her perfect body with your mind 